Hello, awesome people. Welcome to Embrace the Pivot. I'm Dr. C. Robinson, your host for the show. Join me as we discover what pivoting actually means and how you can embrace your pivot during life's transition. Another Wednesday, everyone. Can you believe it? We are just that much closer to the new year. How's everyone doing? Are you hanging in there? Are you done with your gift shopping, gift wrapping? I am almost done. I'm waiting for a few more gifts, then I'm going to wrap and we are going to be done. This year, I'm actually ahead of the game. So I'm very happy and proud of myself. As we look to 2021, I am so curious as to how you are pivoting. For me, I am not only macro pivoting, but I'm also micro pivoting. I am re-strategizing and rebranding Embrace the Pivot. We have a lot of cool stuff coming up. One of the initiatives I'm working on with my team is Don't Pivot Alone. It's a campaign to provide resources and to let people know the phases of pivoting, to help everyone understand how to pivot and how not to pivot. Because as much as we talk about how to pivot, there are definitely things that you don't want to do. Number one, burn a bridge. Especially in the new year, there might be some people that you've had a very difficult time with in 2020. Don't burn that bridge. Just silently walk away. And because you just never know when you're going to need that person. So the Don't Pivot Alone campaign that I'm working on with my team is going to be a whole website. It's going to be a community where people can come together, share ideas on pivoting, and help one another get from point A to point B. We're also also launching a new merch section. So we're going to have t-shirts, pillows, hoodies, mugs, everything uh, with sayings and quotes to help remind you how to pivot, how not to pivot, and that there are different phases that you go through and it's okay because all these different phases lead you to the woohoo moment. So I'm really excited that is coming early 2021. So stay tuned. Today, I have with me Dr. Azza Gadir. She is the director of R&D at SEED. And SEED is pioneering the inquiry, the application, and communication of microbiome science to improve human and planetary health. She is absolutely incredible, and she is really on a mission to help people with their microbiomes, which is your gut health, and how to keep it healthy so that people can go into 2021, 2022, 23, 24, et cetera, healthy and at the best that they can be. So everyone, please welcome Dr. Azza. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Yeah. All right. First, let's start with SEED. Tell my listeners what SEED is and what attracted you to that company, and then we'll get into your background. 
Yeah, so um, Seed is a microbiome company. Uh, we're actually both a consumer uh, and a therapeutics company, but we have a uh, product, a 24-strain uh, probiotic and prebiotic that we've had on the market for the last couple of years. Um, and we're interested in creating products um, around the microbiome. And what attracted you to start working there? Yeah, so um, I'm actually trained um, as an immunologist. So um, I have my PhD in the immunology of autoimmune diseases. Um, and so um, if you go back about 10 years, um, when I started doing my PhD, particularly in lupus, we used to have to sit in a clinic once a week to collect blood from the patients when they would come in so that we could take that blood and then run our own kind of analysis in the lab. Um, and because you kind of would sit with these patients weekly, you'd really kind of get to know them. Um, and so um, I, I just started to get really interested in asking patients, do you remember anything happening around the time you got diagnosed with lupus? Can you tell me a little bit more about your disease? And just really started to see that there were patterns in that um, medicine had like a very one size fits all approach. Um, and I just started to get really interested in the patient and in the anecdote of understanding why patients don't always look the same, why some lupus patients have really bad disease and some others don't. And so after my PhD, I actually ended up moving to Boston um, and I did my postdoctoral um, degree um, at Boston Children's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. And the postdoc is kind of the next step on the academic career path after your PhD. And so I started kind of working on the immunology of food allergies and stumbled kind of into this microbiome story. So what we ended up finding during my postdoc was that your microbes in your gut are actually able to directly communicate with your immune system. These gut microbes are able to kind of augment the type of um, food al allergic response that you can have. And so after we kind of stumbled on this microbiome story, I just started to take an interest. I, I started to notice that I wasn't as excited going into work every day. Um, I really loved the research, but just found myself yearning kind of for a lot more outside of the bench and, and just being in the lab every day. Started to kind of hear that voice that was telling me, you're not that excited every morning. So just started Aww. thinking about other options. <laughs> <laughs> started thinking about other options and just started networking a lot. And it took about a couple of years, but a, a girlfriend of mine mentioned Seed Over Brunch and said that they had just launched. Um, and I shamelessly stalked the co-founders on LinkedIn and I left, <laughs> I left, I left that thing on, you know, the thing that's like, show them that they see your profile or whatever if you yeah. want them to see so i um, i switched i switched it on i researched the company and i really like the company and so i looked at both of the co-founders profiles and i woke up the next morning and one of them had sent me a message and said that my linkedin profile was a really good fit for a position they were hiring for and that's how i found them wow so <laughs> what was that process like for you from being the doctoral student to being in the lab doing the research and then you have to have that mind uh, mindset shift where now you're going to be working basically at a startup so how are you able to handle that transition yeah so i really try to prepare i think in the in the few years so there were kind of multiple phases to this because there was the phase where i was doing my postdoc and realized i was unhappy and then the phase where I realized I was unhappy because perhaps there was more for me out there in terms of jobs um, and then actually starting to do something about it. And I think 
during that phase a little bit was when I really started to ask during my informational interviews, I would ask people, what's the hardest thing that you found about your transition? Like when I would encounter people who also made the same leap um, and just really started to prepare myself that a it might be harder not being in the lab and, and being on my feet every day and being behind a computer sitting in an office every day started to prepare myself for the fact that it would be a steep learning curve because I'm going into to a startup where I know the science but I don't necessarily know what it's like to run a, to be to be in a management position in a company right so like how do you manage people because that looks very different to how you manage people in the lab and and honestly it was very intentional like i i'm lucky that i had very good people around me and i wrote a lot of notes honestly it was writing a lot of notes and as i went into my position at seed i actually started off by familiarizing myself with the team for a couple of months and just so that it it wouldn't be like a, a like a uh, I guess a, a crash landing and would go would go into the office I flew into LA I really tried to make sure that I spoke to everybody on the team just to kind of make that transition as smooth as possible and so that there'd be no surprises so what does the director of R&D at Seed do? Every day looks very different. I, I really, really enjoy my position. My job at Seed is to kind of vet the science. So as new science comes into the company, um, my job is to make sure that it's good enough for us to um, adopt. Um, it's also to make sure that I can work with our team to set a clear plan or a path for any kind of new bacteria or any new products that come our way that we set a very clear path and that we make sure that there's good science behind everything that we do. So we make sure that we are keeping up to date with reading. I have to make sure that like every experiment that we have that's coming up is something that's novel that will contribute something to the field because it's very important to see that we don't just sell products to consumers, but that we continue to collect data on those products and show the consumer that we it's not, it's not good enough for us to just give them the product and say, oh, that works for you, go with it, but to also continue to publish manuscripts and to make sure that we are um, releasing data into the public sphere that validates the science of our products. Can you talk a little bit more about the microbiome? Did I say that right? Yeah, um, you did. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, like, so, so I've heard of it and I have a general understanding of it, but if you could talk a little bit more in depth, that would be great. So the microbiome um, is the set of genes that code for any organism or microorganism that lives in or inside of you. So every surface or anything that's exposed or unexposed, so your gut or your oral cavity or your skin has a set of microbes that live in or on the surface, right? Um, and, and that's what the word microbiome means. But you can also have an environmental microbiome, so the microbes that live out on surfaces or out in the environment. So the microbiome you can find on any surface in the world. Generally, at Seed, we work on the human microbiome, and our focus is particular on, on, on bacteria because the word microbiome can also refer to fungi, funguses and also to viruses um, and bacteria. And at Seed, we're mainly focused on the bacterial microbiome. How has your leadership style evolved over the years? So I think one of the most 
imp important things that I learned during my postdoc. And I think being like having a technical expertise as an immunologist, I think during my postdoc, I really, really learned to master what my technical expertise is. The reason why I've, I found that to be very important when it came to management is that I could remain secure, um, that I knew my science and that every day I would stay up to date with the science. And when I started at Seed, I tried to put a lot of effort in to learning the things that you don't learn being in academia, which is people relationships and how to improve efficacy and all of the other things that you would associate with a well-run company. I know the microbiome and I learned the microbiome and the immunology of it. And when I started at Seed, as management, as I started to bring more t team members on board, um, it was clear to them that I knew my science, right? So I didn't need to prove to them that like they, they that I would, would manage them well based on my previous knowledge. I could just get on to understanding how to like better optimize my team, how to better support my team. And so I really try as a, as a manager to A, um, share the knowledge that I've acquired previously because everybody on our team has different expertise. Some people are better op at operations. Some people are better than me at, at administration. And so I think that it's important to remember when you're entering any team, even when you're management, that everybody is coming with their own skill set and everybody can learn from each other. So for me as manager, I think that um, we all try to share our expertise with each other as much as possible on the team. And so I will share studies that I've worked on previously on the microbiome and the knowledge that I know. And at the same time, I really try to encourage other team members to share expertise and knowledge they know so that it can be a collaborative learning experience. Yeah, and that's great. And then all of you can grow together instead of being um like fighting with one another exactly. or being in a competition with one another, which just delays getting you and the company to where you want to be. So I love totally. that. Totally. And it makes everybody yeah. way, way more excited to work with each other because, yep. if, because you, you can really learn from your colleagues, right? And you're excited too. And, and it's, it's part of the ethos. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And what's one of the main things that you've learned from your teammates? So I've so much, <laughs> so, so much. So, um, I, I think that I've, I've learned how to work with people. So a, I think that it's really important to employ people and also to work with people that you're excited by. Um, so again, have worked on really cool things previously and to really ask people what their previous positions were like. I think I've learned from people like what jobs they enjoyed and what jobs they didn't enjoy so much. And I think one really common trend that I, I don't think is just exclusive to seed is that the majority of people are very curious. And I think to show curiosity and to ask people, can you tell me about the last position you had and why it didn't work for you? I've learned so much from the experiences that my team members have had just by asking that question. But day to day, I learn a lot from them in terms of, um, I, I think at Seed, we have this policy of, of, you know, most companies do of like, see something, say something. And I think that I, we encourage people on the team to speak up if you think that I could be doing my job better. And so I've learned a lot in that way as well, like getting, encouraging team members to send me slacks if they think that meetings could be run differently or if um, 
feedback if they have any feedback that could kind of optimize the running of the team that's really really encouraged and and so for me i've learned a lot about my own management style and about the ways that um even small things like how to rein in my own stress so that i don't project it onto others for example and trying to be aware of that day to day that's you know so i've i've learned a lot about my like my own personality and also how to optimize my the way that i um operate every day yeah. within the position. So I'm a doctor, but in organizational leadership, not science or medical. And we studied a lot on human behavior and great leaders are so self-aware because as mm -hmm. you said, when you're feeling stressed out, you try and rein that in so that you don't project that onto anyone else and then make them stressful. So I think that that's very powerful what you said. And for anyone listening, if you are in a leadership track or advancing your career, being self-aware is so critical to being a successful leader. When you transitioned over to SEED and you started to develop um, the bit, or not develop, but you started to see and understand how a startup is operated. Once you got into that groove, what has been one of your proudest moments? And I know that there's a lot, but if you could just share one or two, that would be great. To answer that question, if you don't mind, I'm going to go back just a little bit because when mm -hmm. I was doing informational interviews and trying to work out what the next position would be for me and what would be the best fit, um, the types of questions that I was trying to answer wasn't just what, what job like what's my next job it was to kind of discover jobs that i didn't know even existed to find even people that i might want to be in a few years time to help me kind of then work out how how i could get to being them and to to find new opportunities one one thing that one piece of advice that i was also given was to really think about the type of um company that i want to be a part of do i want to be a part of an early startup where everybody's expected to wear a million different hats things go wrong all the time there's a lot of fires products get um pivoted a lot so you know your first idea is not what's actually gonna hit the shelves right or do i want to be more part of a later stage company so a company that's ipo'd or a series c company that has a little bit more money a little bit more functioning um and so my job would be a little bit more kind of you know nine to five um if you will and so um for me i i, I knew that by entering a startup and by coming into an early startup like seed that it would be a little bit um for lack of a better term, um, kind of like chaos energy, because that's what most startups are, right? So it's like a lot of, you need people who are willing to do jobs that like they, that might not be in your job description, right? You have to be resourceful. And, and all to say that for me, the proudest moments for me coming into the seed team have been the moments where, um, under pressure, I felt that I've been able to still be resourceful. There have been a few ways that that's played out. Um, I'm trying to think of very specific examples, but, um, it's not just when kind of problems arise, but it's also coming up with new ideas in our pipeline. So when I joined the C team, we were still at the stage where we, we, we were a microbiome company, but we were expanding kind of the types of product and the type of areas within the microbiome that we wanted to go into. Um, and at this point in our pipeline, we now have 
a uh, children's probiotic that we're working on. We're also looking at projects um, in the uh, skin microbiome kind of yeah. arena and also the oral microbiome. And so for me, kind of the, the, the biggest areas of pride have been um, working with the team to kind of expand the fields that we've gone into. But then also I, I have to mention here that there's an arm of the company that is so enjoyable to all of us, which is Seed Labs. And, and I don't know um, if I can share a little bit about it. It's the environmental microbiome arm, arm of our company. And so we actually launched a, a probiotic for honeybees last year it's, it's yeah it's it's a project that we're working with our chief scientist on um but seed labs in particular is um a part of the company that we all just practice a lot of resourcefulness and we'll read papers and then ping each other and say reach out to the team immediately let's see if they want to work together and that's something that happens really frequently with that arm of the company and so i think in answer to your question it's just um the times where you've had to show resourcefulness particularly under pressure are the times where i like go home and i think Oh, I'm really proud of how I did today. That was a good Aww. day. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And congratulations on uh, all the new products coming out. Thank too. you. That's, that's exciting. How has COVID impacted your research? So, yeah, COVID has. I think that um, it's been a strange year for everybody. But in terms of research, the most tangible way is that um, the labs all had to close uh, for a few months. So a lot of our experiments were placed on pause this year, especially the lab experiments. Um, I also think that um, the effort from the medical community this year has been phenomenal. Um, everybody has had to pretty much stop what they were doing and focus to some degree on this virus. So a lot of our academic collaborators have had to pivot their research and just temporarily to look at testing, for example, or like focus all of the sequencing efforts that they were doing on the microbiome and start to sequence this virus to, to, to ramp up testing. So the most tangible way is that it's kind of interrupted uh, our experiment flow. Um, but I mean, COVID has impacted in lots of different ways. And I think that we've all been working from home since March. And I think that we're very lucky and privileged to be able to do so. But just in terms of the research itself, I think it's just that it's put a lot of projects on pause. Um, but we've still, I think that Seed itself, um, we're, we're, I, we're not publicly talking about it yet, but we are working on a couple of COVID projects as well, because I think it's hard to be in the scientific kind of arena this year and not. What is one of the main pieces of information you wish everyone knew about microbiome? So much. So <laughs> I'm like, I, this, so that could, I could talk for hours. Um, so I think, I think the main thing that I would want people to remember about the microbiome is that it is that people are different and everybody has, there's no one, one universal healthy microbiome. So there's no one kind of bacteria signature that everybody should aspire to have, to have a healthy microbiome. I think the main thing is that everybody is different um, and to just keep in mind that these microbes do exist in and on you and they do play a very specific part on, on your day-to-day day-to-day and keeping you healthy um, and that there's a lot of kinds of facets of modern life that can impact your microbiome and it's good to be kind of mindful of that so things like being really really stressed not sleeping enough eating too much processed or low fiber and, and high sugar food um, and taking too many antibiotics are all things that can actually damage your microbiome. Um, sometimes it's necessary. And of course, there's no judgment involved in, in having to engage in any of these behaviors. But it's just keeping in mind that long term 
um, engagement can actually cause some impacts to your microbiome. And that can play out in symptoms like feeling groggy, tired, constipation, diarrhea. Um, but in some people, it can actually lead to a formal diagnosis of, of chronic inflammation. And so it's, it's just good to keep in mind how important these microbes are. If someone came to you stating that they were about to pivot in their career, what would be three essential steps you would share to help make that pivot successful? I would share um, that A, the most important step is to just sit in a, in a quiet room and write, I mean, this, this worked for me and it was write out all of the reasons that your current position isn't making you happy or there might not be a path forward. Because sometimes in even doing that exercise, you realize that for now you're, you're good, you know, that like the position's actually okay and, and you're not on, as unhappy as you might think. But then start to think of all the things and all of the um, ways that you would like to pivot. Would you like to um, pivot very specific skill sets? Are there certain jobs and roles and tasks that you no longer want to do and do not make you happy? Or um, is it more the role and the people that you're around that you would like to pivot? So, you, so I think having very kind of clear, intentional um, focus as much as you can, and that will hone over time as to like, why you want to pivot and which aspects you would like to pivot. And I think once you have that exercise in hand, as you're then going into interviews where it's clear that you are completely pivoting, it's way easier to be able to tell your story, right? Because you have it very clear in your head that these are the reasons why this next position is a good fit for me and is a better fit for me than, than the last. And so I think writing, writing it out was always very helpful to me and um, kind of honing in that story and sharpening it out as I started to network more, as I started to go on more informational interviews and as I started to read more, I would kind of um, keep going back to that plan or that one pager and write more notes out and kind of hone in my story more. And the reason why that personally was very helpful to me was that um, at one point I was having lunch with a mentor and that mentor, I shared that that's what I was doing. And they said to me, if you can get that story into four lines and you start to repeat it when you're going on informational interviews and when you are networking, then, um, you, you start to have a very clear narrative. And the ways that that helped me was that as I was going on these, to these meetings or, or taking these calls, I would always try to make sure that at some point I would say the words, you know, I'm from the UK. I'm a gut microbiome expert. I work on food allergies, want to go into working for an early stage startup. And I made sure that I would repeat those buzzwords over and over. And it kind of got to, to a stage for me where people would start reaching out after, after a while. They would email, oh, this opportunity just came through, noticed that this position needed somebody with microbiome food allergy experience, thought of you, maybe you could pivot the role, you know? So, so I think that like, as I started to yeah. form a narrative around who I was and, and, and I started to put that out into the world, I started to see other people that I was networking with pick up on that narrative. And then like, it would take them less time and less effort to work out ways to then help me or follow up with me. I love that. That is such a huge piece of advice. It's so valuable because so many people, they don't know what their story is. They don't know what narrative to share. And it is, it's once you get that narrative down to where you really want to go, it does help when you're networking. Totally. Thank you so much for sharing that. Totally. And I think that everybody, you're so right. Like everybody has a story. It's just 
more sitting and working out and shaking off the imposter syndrome <laughs> and yeah, saying to yeah. yourself like what is my story and yeah so I completely agree yeah is there anything else you would like to talk about that we didn't touch on I would love to mention one thing, which was as I was preparing um, for this conversation today, I realized that there was actually one part of, of my story that um, really meant a lot to me. And I don't know whether this would resonate with your listeners, but um, I, so, so during, I, I, I just, I always felt for a bunch of reasons that um, I floated a little bit, that I was happy in my career and I was, I loved doing immunology, but I always felt that I was floating a little and I just wanted to highlight how important mentorship was for my journey uh, and finding the right mentors. Um, the most formative times of my personal career were my postdoc years. And the reason for that was because my postdoc supervisor, Talal Shatila, really put, really invested a lot of time and a lot of effort into making me a better scientist. Even when I got to the stage where I felt very hopeless um, about my career and about my position. And I remember there was one time where I was sitting in his office and I said, I don't think I'm good at this. I think I just want to pivot my career. And I just want to be very clear that I'm going to pivot in a few years. And he said to me, I really encourage you pivoting. And I think it would be a very good fit for you if you pivot into any of the positions that you've mentioned to me. But I don't want you to leave thinking you're not good at this. And he was actually the first person who ever taught me how to learn um, and I feel like it's always, I always laugh when I say it because I feel like it's a silly thing to say, but he sat with me and he said to me that when you gather information day to day, whether that's walking around the supermarket, watching TV, or whether it's in your job and when you're looking at your screen, synthesize that information and try to contextualize it in your brain. Um, so try to think of your brain as a map and try to place things as much as you can somewhere because then it will help you kind of connect all the dots in your life better. And he he just, he made that statement to me and he said, instead of coming in every day and thinking, it's nine to five, I want to pivot my career. He's like, try to find joy in the kind of, in collecting micro information day to day in your job and just go back to the drawing board and really try not to walk away from this position thinking that you're a bad scientist. And just that conversation completely reframed my outlook and my thinking about what my postdoc meant because I walked out of his office not thinking I can't wait to get out of this position I'm so excited for what's to come like I, I wasn't just thinking that but I was also thinking no I want to put a bow and tie a bow around this chapter of my life and I spent the next couple of years really working hard and I ended up publishing really nice results out of it and I left my position happy and pleased with the success that I'd had um, and then wow. walked into the next position feeling good about myself. And I, and I really credit that to him as a mentor. And I, and I know a lot of people find it difficult to find the right mentorship. And I, I really try to engage it. And I really try to find, there are a lot of people that I had informationals with that maybe weren't interested in mentoring or weren't a good fit, but, but that's something that I would really encourage people to think about, to find people that are 10 years ahead of you in your career and see if they're willing to mentor you in any capacity, because that, that advice can really shift and change your perspective. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and maybe with your experience too, or maybe you did experience this, but I find that I have 
mentors her, who are lifelong mentors, but then I have situational mentors as mm-hmm. well. And it's, it's both beneficial within that moment. And then you move on. And based on the next experience that you're in, you find a mentor who's been through that part of your journey. Have you experienced that as well? Totally. Actually, so a, a very close friend of mine, Jess, calls it. Um, she she was the one who told me when I was starting to think about leaving my career. She said, "You need to start thinking about putting together a personal board of directors." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah. which I, I still laugh about. But she's like, yeah. "It's it's there's no limit to the number." She's like, "It just has to be people who, again, as you said, either situational or might float in and out in terms of the relevance." to you. Um, but yeah, I completely agree that it, it needs to be a, a, a collective of people and they might not always be consistently relevant for what you need. Yeah. And the personal board of directors, 100%. <laughs> so who is there like specific people on your personal board of directors or do you have people from all different walks of life? It's it's all different walks of life. I have a few peers who um, had different career trajectories to me. And so I have a few friends who went into startups earlier and their advice has been invaluable because they helped me, for example, um, negotiate a salary, you know, something that I've never done before or um, even the interview process, like what do you give away when? And and for me, my situation was a little bit more complicated because I was applying for a green card. I wasn't an American resident. There were parts of it where I had a little bit of anxiety about at what point in a job interview do I tell them that they might have to sponsor my visa or that I'm, you know, Um, and in the end it ended up working out because I, I sponsored my green card separately. But I think for me, that's when my personal kind of board of directors uh, were very helpful to me because they would say, mention it at this point of the interview. You know, I could, I could call them 10 minutes before with an issue and say, hey, I just need quick help. How do I answer this question? Um, and then people who are a little bit older and I had to be a little bit more respectful of their time because of, you know, the busy factor. They were people that I would schedule probably like once or twice a year check-ins with where I had to be respectful, I would schedule like a a 20 minute check-in if they had time for lunch, great. But if not 20 minutes where I would, um, just update them and just say, this is what I've been up to. And, um, can you, can you help connect me with these specific people? So I, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm being overly intentional about, you know, my pivot, but I would always make sure that if I was having informationals with people, that were busy to make sure that I wasn't just calling them for a chat necessarily. Um, but I would, I would always make sure at some point of the interview to ask, Hey, by the way, is it okay if you could introduce me to this person that I noticed you were friends with on LinkedIn, or do you have any suggestions for me? Because I've hit a wall in terms of trying to like penetrate these industries that I'm trying to get to know better, you know? Um, so, um, I always tried to make sure that there was very clear intent. So it wasn't just, um, a 20 minute of, of wasting that time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I really enjoyed this. You can follow me, Dr. C, on Instagram at Embrace the Pivot. I hope all of you embrace your pivot.